Hello and welcome to the Head Smart podcast with me, Kate Guest, as I share with you how being head smart rather than head full is a much better and easier way to live. I'll be sharing the interesting knowledge and research I've learned along the way on my own personal journey and how I use this to help the people I work with now. With simple head hacks to change how you think and feel, research-based information from the world of neuroscience, interviews with peers from a variety of backgrounds, and essentially a lot of laughter, a key ingredient to a positive mindset, this podcast is designed with you in mind. In this week's episode of HeadSmart Podcast with me, Kate Guest, we're talking about the myth-busting aspect of exercise, things you may have been going along with for so many years, like the 10,000 steps, uh, the body mass index. We're going to give you some eye-opening information through Duncan Atwood, who is my guest today. He's going to be talking about safety when doing exercises in your own home. And the key thing is keeping it slow and safe. Would you have thought that? And also about quality of life, how exercise helps us because we lose strength as we age. I think this is a really key note to take home. And the sentence I want to always keep with me that Duncan mentioned is all of this is about having a life worth living. So have a listen to this interview with Duncan Atwood, a friend and colleague of mine, Fit20, and learn a little bit more about exercise that you probably didn't know. You can head over to my website, kate-guest.co.uk, after the podcast to take advantage of the free anxiety release and sleep ebooks and audios. First of all, I want to explain that Duncan is all about the body, about the exercise. And this is a podcast all about the mind. So how does that work? Well, of course, funny enough, your body is connected to your mind. It's all one running machine. And that's what we want to look at, how it can positively impact how you're feeling emotionally. And what other aspects, what are the good things that come along with exercise? So good morning, Duncan. Now, Duncan and I, we got together in 2020 during the lockdown. We were part of a group and we ran a few webinars. So tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, Duncan, where you are now, what you're doing now. Has anything changed and uh, I can reminisce about the good old days of 2020, zoom, 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 zoom. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's great to be here. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've since well, 2020, obviously, we had all the lockdowns, um, but we've grown from strength to strength since then. And I run a company, as I know you're aware, Kate, um, called Fit20. It's a franchise. Uh, we're global. We're in 13 countries. And I've got the franchise for Exeter. And... We've grown so well out of the, after the lockdown. I have to say, we're now looking for a second site to go down to Torbay. That, so, yeah. Now that is good news. That is amazing good news. Good news for the people that can use it, and good news for businesses because being small businesses, that's what we want, don't we? Absolutely. Yes, and be able to just affect the lives of more people. Absolutely. Uh, and that's the thing that makes a big difference to me and my team is just how much of a difference it makes to them um, day in day out. So yeah. That's what we're there to do, I support people in the southwest. Obviously, though, Fit20 is, I say, is in 13 countries. And in the UK, we currently have seven live sites um, dotted around. And we've got a new one opening up in Scotland. So we are stretching further and farther afield. So now, we, I know what Fit20 is, and you're talking about Fit20. What, what is Fit20? What does it mean? So essentially, we're personal trainers, uh, but we have a very scientific approach to getting results. And 
Fit 20, it's in our name. Uh, we essentially get people fit using exercise just once a week for 20 minutes is all they need to do. And that's from literally turning up to leaving again. It's 20 minutes. There's no need to shower or change. Um, and it's, it sounds strange when I say that to people. And I, I admit it's often met with a certain amount of skepticism. But we do offer free sessions for everyone so they can come and find out what we do. And it's when you've had a go, you'll really feel it and understand how well it works. Absolutely. Yeah, 20 minutes once a week. So this 20 minutes once a week. Now, you know me, I'm always questioning NHS um, legislation. Now, having been a, a nurse, a practice nurse for all those years, having to live in that NHS world, it's lovely to come out of it and get to see what's out in the real world. So are there some myths that you can dispel for us? Now, I've got a few questions, if I may, for you. I'd like to know, what are your thoughts on this 10,000 steps a day? <laughs> um Right. First of all, I should say, Kate, that I am an advocate of all forms of exercise. So, you know, something is better than nothing. So don't get me wrong. Going out and doing 10,000 steps is better than sitting on the sofa all day long. Having said that, you're absolutely right. It is a myth. There is no science behind it whatsoever. It was actually a, a pedometer, uh, sorry, a, a marketing campaign by a pedometer company back in the 1950s. There is no science around it whatsoever, though it's gained traction throughout many many years I mean, it's been around since the 1950s people have heard of it so often and now with pedometers and you know wearable gadgets that we have that all monitor our steps it's an easy one for people to latch hold of and think that's what they should be doing problem is though if you can walk 10,000 steps quite happily our body won't adapt any further to that it'll say well thank you very much I can do that and you can do it every day if you want to or make no difference to you whatsoever because you can already do it and all exercise works because it's temporarily looking at weakening the body off in some form. And the more effectively you do that, the more your body's going to change. It's going to adapt to that stimulus. So if you can already do it, your body won't change. It will stay exactly the same as it was before. And people can spend a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to walk 10,000 steps. You're talking a good few hours, most likely, if you just go out and do it in one go. You can spend lots of time doing it and your body will not change at all because it can already cope. If you push it beyond what it can do and make it a bit harder for yourself, that's when you start to see the differences. So even just doing a, you know, a, a, instead of going for 10,000 steps, which takes a couple of hours, if you do it on a half an hour walk, but at a far higher intensity, so maybe that you couldn't sing, but you could talk and hold a conversation, that sort of level, your body will start to change, but not just going out and plodding 10,000. That's fantastic, because that leads me into another question, which I think this is answering it. High-intensity training. So you've just talked about the 10,000 steps. If you do, do that all the time, and yeah, the time. How many people mm. nowadays have the time to actually do that? They, they sat down at their office desks. It's very few. So you said about changing up the intensity or changing something else. So tell mm. me, but is that what high-intensity is? Can you explain more? Yeah, so just to clarify, we're talking about high-intensity training. Often when people talk about HIT, they're thinking about high-intensity interval training, which is slightly different. But yeah, high-intensity training is what you really should be aiming to do. And I'll be honest with you, the older we get, the more we need to increase sort of intensity and, and use that uh, as a way of getting results rather than just going for duration. So if you go for duration, people think about doing, and I hate this phrase, but cardio exercise. And Yes, that's that's good to do. I'm not going to deny it. But actually, as we get older, that's not the issue so much. What becomes an issue is strength. And you'll lose it if you don't do anything to to put it back. And that happens because we naturally lose uh, the growth hormone. It doesn't we don't produce as much of it 
as we get older. So from about the age of 35 onwards, um, the growth hormone just decline, and that's just natural part of aging. But if you train, and, and if you don't do anything, I should say, you'll lose your strength at about 1% a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you can imagine when you start to hit your 40s and you know beyond, you wake up one day and you're like, what's happened? I don't feel anything like I used to, and it's because we've lost that strength. Even if you're doing cardio, and I know runners that suffer from this, you know, they're doing the cardio, but they've not got the strength anymore. And it's because cardio on its own isn't going to work on strength. That's a different way of training. So the high intensity side of things, you want to increase the intensity, that's going to start to work on the strength. And that's what you want to be doing as we get older. And that puts me in mind of if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. Whether we're talking about the Absolutely. mind and the brain and lots of activities, mental activities for the brain, it's exactly the same for the body, which again, oh, hey, who knew? Both connected. We need to look at it as a whole entity. So thank you. Now, I know somebody listening may say, so are you saying you don't need to worry about going for the walks? There's nothing to, you know, the walks aren't so important. So I know that's not what you mean, but can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I would say that the walks are good, but from a different perspective. If you go out and walk in the fresh air, you know, you're clearing your head. That, going back to the mental side of things now, that's fantastic to do. Reconnect with nature. Go out walking with friends and family. That's brilliant to do. So I'm not saying don't do it. What I'm saying is actually do the strength training things, exercises alongside that. If anything, prioritize those and you'll find the walking a lot easier. Um, and you'll be able to spend more time with loved ones doing the things that you like to do um, if you are stronger because you'll feel much more capable. I mean, I have a lot of people that come to us and they say things like, you know, I used to be able to you know, walk up a hill that's near me or go up the stairs at home without getting out of breath. And now I get to the top of the stairs, and I'm out of breath. What's going on? And quite simply, you've lost strength. And the way I try and describe that, it's like taking, uh, if you imagine our body's a vehicle, because it is, it moves us around. And the muscles that we have are the engine of our vehicle. Now, if you liken it to a car, you take a car up a hill and it's got a weak engine, you're going to have to change down gear a lot to get it to go up the hill. If you've got a strong engine inside that vehicle, you probably don't have to change down gear. It'll just cruise up quite happily. Well, our body's the same. So if we're weaker, we have to change down gear. How do we do that? We get out of breath. Start breathing a lot harder. That makes it so our body can get up the stairs or get up that hill. If you're stronger, you don't have to get out of breath anymore because your body self can cope with this quite happily. The muscles are fine. I'll just cruise up. So it does come back to strength. And of course, and if we're stronger, we can go on longer walks with the family if we want to. But we can do that more for the pleasure side of it rather than the exercise. So walking, yes, it's good, but it does depend where you're at. You know, I've known people that say to me, I, I you know, I even struggle to get from the living room. I'm talking, obviously, people mm -hmm. that are older in years and, have, yeah, 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 you know, maybe other issues. But, you know, they struggle to get from the, so the living room to the kitchen, uh, you know, with, with, with ease. And that's often because that's all they do and their body will adapt to it and go, well, I don't need to do anymore. So that's me. And they often stop doing things like walking because, they, you know, and walking down the road, up the street, whatever it might be, is because they, they, they feel they can't anymore. But you've got to push your body beyond that. If you don't if you don't strain it, if you don't do the high intensity training, your body will go backwards. And so eventually you're really struggling to do even simple tasks. And, and sadly, what I'm remembering now, what you're saying makes so much sense. When I look back when I was nursing, especially in the practice nurse setting and working with the GPs, the number of people I would see just like that, they didn't do very much. They did less, so they did less, and they could only do less and less and less. And looking at it from this aspect, thinking, my goodness me, if they had known somebody like you, if they had a different mindset, I wonder what their, their lives 
might have been like. And what I'd like you all, all of you that's listening, I'd like you to think about as well with what Duncan's saying is how does it impact other people around you? You mentioned, Duncan, about having time with family, with friends, and now we're you know, pretty much out of lockdown and we can be with our friends and family again and we can do things. We want to enjoy that time. And if we're not physically able to, that is going to impact on our emotional well-being in a very negative way. So this is a complete win-win situation for us. But also we can be there for other people. We can be there for our grandchildren. I mean, I've now got lovely little Arthur who is coming up to two, a little lockdown baby. And my goodness me, the absolute energy. So for me to even attempt to keep up with him, how sad if I don't, if I don't do something, I don't keep up with him, can't enjoy. And what's it going to be like for him having, you know, old granny there huffing and puffing in the corner so how much more can we do for others as well as ourselves by looking after ourselves and, and adopting this way of being that you're talking about now i know you talked about um your fit 20 studios mm -hmm. um, which is great what if somebody can't get to a fit 20 studio what could you advise them to do what's what can you do at home or in the park i know there's things like green gyms but i think you might have got a thought about those as well i don't know if you yeah. if you've got any well, comments about green gyms but um just tell us what can people do to really help themselves for all of these reasons to, to have strength to keep strength up to not to not go backwards as they go forwards into their older lives the, the main thing is it's, it's the strength again uh, that's first and foremost and you can do that through different styles you can do it in your own home I mean some people have home gyms you can use those uh, I'd be cautious sometimes with some of the things that people do at home just make sure you're doing it properly because otherwise you could get injured and I'm not trying to scare people I'm just being realistic yeah, yeah. Especially, safety first yeah yeah especially if people are already suffering with um, ailments so if you have I know arthritis, if you've had a knee reconstruction, hip reconstruction, you just need to make sure that you're using the body the way it's supposed to be used. And this is where even walking can cause problems because we can um, compensate when we've had an injury or, uh, you know, if you've had an operation in a certain area, and I'm sure people that have had this will know how this feels, you end up biasing one side of the body than the other because mm, you're trying to protect yes, that yeah, limb yeah. or that joint. And that's not a good thing to do because you'll just make the problem worse and you probably actually transfer the problem to the other side of the body. You need to keep things balanced up. So I would say whatever you do, do it safely. Uh, you know, do it in the way the body's supposed to be, in a, all in alignment. Um, but, yeah, so you can do weight training in your own home. In your own home. You can use the body weight um, to do things, something as simple as a press-up. Um, you know, that's a great way of, of strength training. My advice is do it slowly very slowly and as slow as you possibly can now our style of training we use what they call a uh, slow motion training uh in our style it's we move essentially 10 seconds out and 10 seconds back again so if you imagine doing a press up where you're pushing up for 10 seconds and coming back down again for 10 seconds that's how slow we encourage mm. people to do it if you're doing that at home my advice to everybody regardless of how fit you think you might be do it from the knees don't do it from the feet because you'll find it too hard <laughs> um but build up over time, mm. but keep it slow and keep it precise. We want shoulders down, we want good posture, yeah, and keeping that form. And you've got to think about it, it's not about how many you can do, it's about how perfectly you can do it. If your technique starts to go, I would say just stop there and do it again later. Perfect. But build up the strength. Thank you know, you. squats are good, or wall sit is very good to do. Um, those of you, I don't know if you've tried it before, but essentially put your back against the wall, uh, feet slightly away from the wall, and you move your, your back down the wall until you're at a position where it's almost like you're sat. 
um, but you're not, you're hovering. Um, and that's a good thing to do. That's a static hold you can do, and that's very good for strengthening up the legs, particularly the quads. Um, so there's lots of different things you can do. If you're doing that and you're not used to doing it, and again, if you maybe a little bit, I'll say infirm might be the right word, have something underneath you, maybe put a stool underneath. So if you can't hold it, rather than just crashing to the floor, you could just end up <laughs> sat on the stool, would work fine. Um, uh, maybe make sure like, the cat's not going along at the same time. Yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah, squash don't the squash cat. That. <laughs> yeah, so do work on the strength. That, will, that out of everything you can do, that will make the biggest difference to your life. And, you know, what, what I try and say to my team is we want people to live stronger and more fulfilling lives. Mm. The stronger we are, the more we can do, the more we want to do. And you can then play with the grandchildren. You can get down on the floor and get up again without any difficulties. You can pick them up or go for a run, I don't know, anything, just to play with them. And that then is a life worth living. The problem we've got, uh, and, and this is not just limited to the UK, but uh, almost worldwide, we are living longer. Medicine will keep us going longer. What we want to do is have a good quality of life all the way through those years, not just be going through the motions of existing, but actually having fun. And obviously that then links massively into the mental health side of things. Oh, yeah, you've got to enjoy. I'm going to pinch that sentence, if I may. A life worth living. Yeah. That that's that sums it up. It really does. Thank you. That's really explained that well. I've got a couple of other questions though. Um, the, the the question that because I know somebody else that is listening to this again, come from that NHS background, what we've been churning out for all these years. Somebody's going to ask about the BMI. So can you tell <laughs> me what's the BMI? I mean, I know that you know that I know what it is, but what is yeah. it? And could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Because I think this can sometimes skew people's, um, you know, ability to understand what's really going on. Sure. So BMI uh, is short, shortened version for body mass index. And basically, that's a relationship between your height and your weight. And that is all it is, is the relationship between height and weight. And it gives you a figure. And on a large perspective, you look at a population, so the UK population, it's a reasonable number to be looking at to see what's going on with people. But I have to say it only works really when you're talking a large, massive amount of population trying to see what's happening. When you look at individuals, in my view, personally, it's next to useless. And it's because it makes no difference. It doesn't take into account somebody's body composition. So if you happen to be, for instance, I'll tell you now, all the rugby players you can possibly imagine, especially when you're talking elite athletes, are going to be classed as morbidly obese, most likely. So in theory, if you look at that, that an individual and say, well, this is your body mass index, you'd expect them to be keeling over soon because they, they are, it would say that they are, you know, the body mass index would be too high and we should be doing some sort of intervention. Well, you and I know that's such a rubbish. They're some of the fittest people around. They're very, very healthy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the body's a temple. Yeah, yeah. Why would, you, why would you do anything with that? You wouldn't. And this is where body mass index goes wrong. Now, when it comes to forget elite athletes for a second, if we're talking just normal Joe Public, whatever, coming in. Again, I try and educate members who are with me not to be so fixated on weight. It is a measure. It's a reasonable one, but it's not the best in the world. And in fact, something I often ask people is, you know, if you had, and particularly ladies, you know, if you had the body of a supermodel, but you weighed 20 stone, would you care? And the answer usually is, no, I wouldn't. I was like, right, so don't worry about weight. Instead, think about what's happening inside the body. And a good way of knowing what's going on, your clothes. And that sounds strange mm -hmm. about what's happening inside the body because it's an external thing we're looking at. But 
If your clothes are starting to, with whatever intervention you're using, whatever exercise you're trying to do, if you find the waist is coming down, yeah, or you're going down the dress size or whatever it is, that is a far better way of knowing what you're doing rather than looking at what the scales tell you. Because the scales don't tell you if you're putting on muscle. And we've just said we want to put on good quality lean muscle. And I'll explain why, actually, because the muscle is an active tissue. Right? We need it, and what I mean by that is it burns calories just to stay alive. And if I go if I go back to the car analogy I used earlier, if you imagine a big engined vehicle, say I don't know, a five litre Range Rover in a car park with its engine going, next to the one litre Nissan Micra with its engine going, we know that the five litre Range Rover is going to be using a lot more fuel, not driving anywhere, but just literally sitting in the car park with the engines turning. Right? By doing that. It's, it's using a lot more fuel. If our bodies work the same way, which they do, if we're stronger, we burn more calories. I can see, Kate, you're sat down now. You know, if you're stronger, you'll burn more calories just to stay alive. What happens then? It's going to use other energy sources. What other energy source can it use? Body fat. So, of course, it's going to start changing your body composition. So if you get stronger, you'll find you'll end up using more body fat up just to stay alive. And your body composition changes. So you've got nice, good, lean quality, uh, good quality muscle. But muscle does weigh. So you might find, certainly in the early days when you undertake an exercise routine, that especially if it's based on strength training, that your weight may not change at all. For, if, I'll say, a couple of months, it might not shift much. That's not a problem. What you'll find is happening, though, is your, your waist will be coming in, the clothes sizes will be coming down. And it's because you're putting on good quality muscle, using up the body fat, which is what we want to achieve, we now improve our body composition, and that is a far better health marker than height and weight, BMI. I, I like that. The other thing there as well with the clothing, the dress size, it's a tangible, you know, like you say, you might stand on the scales, and of course for us ladies, in particular hormonal fluctuations, there's all sorts that can be going on. But when you've got your clothing, it actually comes in, it reminds me, um, don't hit the mic there, Kate, it also reminds me of when I was uh, a nursing when I was nursing, a staff nurse, and when I was much younger, I was very much overweight. And we would have blue Petersham belts. Now, there's no stretch or elastic in a Petersham belt. It was quite tight. And as I lost weight, which I did, I was able to take that belt in. And as it went in and in, I felt emotionally better as well. Again, tying in the emotional and the physical. And it was such a good way of, of measuring. So, yes, you can use a tape measure. But sometimes I think as well with in tape measures, if you suck in or whatever else, but something like Petersham, something that's got no give in it, and you put it around the same place, you're going to get a really good measurement. So... I don't think you can even buy Petersham nowadays. No, so I'm, I'm going back a very, very long time. But it's a good example of how you've got a tangible measurement of success. Now, I think we've covered the main things that I wanted to ask you. And is there anything else? Any, if you want to give anybody a last top tip. Uh, oh, there is, sorry, there is one more thing actually I'd like to ask. It's the thing about the nursing and the Petersham belt. What are the benefits of exercise? So looking at long-term health, comorbidity, and by that we mean uh, having other illnesses, things like mm -hmm. diabetes, asthma, heart disease, you know, something close to my heart, whether I'm dealing with it with the mind, when I used to deal with it as a nurse. What is it, what's in it for people to a, either if they've got problems already or to prevent them with working with somebody like yourself or and just doing their stuff at home? Sure. I and mean, when it comes to, you said about asthma, well, I mentioned briefly earlier, didn't I, about the, the breathing side of things, and we don't get it out of breath when we start to improve our muscle strength. 
And that is because what we're doing is we're improving the body's ability to utilize oxygen, uh, specifically at the site of the muscle. So you don't have to go and do cardiovascular exercise to improve your heart and lung function. That is something that is a, it's another one I should probably get rid of that myth. You don't have to <laughs> yeah. do that. Let's bust um, all those myths right out of the park absolutely. right now. Um, that's not to say, by the way, if you're wanting to do something like run a marathon, you have to go and practice running a marathon, but that's sport specific. But for general public, if you're wanting to improve your ability to utilize the oxygen, so let's say you've got um, a COPD, so that's another obviously illness there, mm-hmm. um, which affects the, the, uh, the lungs, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I've got people who train with us who have got that. And their way of knowing, they've got their own little ways. One guy in particular was, could he walk from his house to the pub without stopping halfway on the bar bench for a rest? And after he'd been with us in a very short space of time, he could, he could walk, not just from his house to the pub, but he could walk back again. He said, how has this happened? And I said, because even though that it's not that your, your, your lungs have improved because you've got COPD, we can't do that much mm, about yeah, it. Yeah. What we can do is what oxygen you are breathing in, you can get much better, much more efficient at using. And now you can carry on your daily life without being impacted by the COPD. And that is life-changing for someone. So that, that's one thing you said about, so that's the asthma COPD side of things and the breathing. Um, and I've got loads of scientific information I could give on that if we wanted to go into lots of detail, but I won't today. Um, then if you look, you said diabetes being another one. Well, diabetes, we know, it's sort of high blood sugar levels. And what we're trying to do is have it so that the, the, the sugar can get, that can get out of the bloodstream and into the muscle and stored as glycogen. Now, if you don't use your muscles very much, so you're fairly sedentary, as you can imagine, there's nowhere for the blood sugar to go. The muscle's already full of glycogen. It can't go anywhere. So it sits in the bloodstream and we have diabetes and it causes other problems, which we know. Whereas if you train effectively using the high intensity training sort of way of doing things, then you empty the muscle of glycogen because that's been used as the energy source to do the exercise. Well, now the blood's got, it's got, it's got sugar in it. Go on, I can get that out now and it chucks it into the muscle. Yay, we've now lowered our blood sugar levels and the diabetes is starting to go away. And we've had people specifically, I have to say type 2 diabetes, uh, where I've got a number of members have come along to me and they're no longer diabetic. And it's because of our training. And so, yeah, definitely strength training is it is life changing um, for the factors you just you, you've just issued. So I just listed. Thank you. And I think that is a lovely place to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Duncan. We could talk. I know you and I anyway for <laughs> probably another hour or so. And maybe we can do something later on in the year. But for now, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your expertise and explaining how all of this will, of course, help our mental health as well, our emotional well-being. You know, I prefer that sort of word. Now, just before we go, one last thing. If people would like to get in touch with you and find out more about coming to, to Fit20, whether it's you or in other parts of the country, just tell us a little bit like that about that before we finish. The easiest way to find out about us, I would say, for your members, is look, uh, look it up at us up on the internet. And it's really simple. Our email address, uh, sorry, our web address, fit20.co.uk. If you look at that, you'll be able to find all the sites in the UK. Uh, you'll be able to find me. And we, all of us, offer a free session to anybody wanting to come along and find out what we do. Because I appreciate how different our training is compared to what most people have ever heard of. And trying to explain it is, is very different to actually experiencing it. So we say, just come and have a go with us yeah. to do it. No obligation. And you can make your own decision after that as to what you want to do. 
Perfect, thank you. So you've heard that everybody, you can go along for free, find out what it's all about and then start getting fitter and going to this, I want to use this sentence again, a life worth living. Duncan Atwood, thank you so much for joining us. And that's all from this week's Head Smart podcast with me, Kate Guest. Take care and bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Head Smart with me, Kate Guest. And why not pop over to iTunes and leave a rating? I'd love to know what you think and how this has helped you. And you can find out more about me and the work I do on my website, kate-guest.co.uk. Have a head smart week and do join me again on the next Head Smart podcast.